Always waiting for your next tabletop gaming fix? You can support Strange Assembly at patreon.com. This is Strange Assembly, episode 182, Jay and the Hologram. Aren't you happy, Jay? You got top billing in the show title today. This is where I feel bad that I don't remember by heart the uh, theme song for Jim and the Holograms, or I would start singing and everyone would hate me. Truly outrageous, truly... Like, there you go. Yes. Yes, but even less in key. (laughs) Uh, That is Jay Earl. Hello. And I am Chris Stevenson. And we swear we're a tabletop gaming podcast. Although, I have to admit, we have actually sung on the show before. More than once. That actually made it into a recording. Go, go listen. We've got a lot of, we've got a, a large back catalog of episodes, but if you want to be tormented, it's there. Okay, apparently I need to start listening to the episodes I'm on. I just assumed that we've got, hit the cutting room floor. Well, I know at the very least, Kevin and I singing Naga Babies to the tune of Muppet Babies is in an episode. And in the episode where I finally, like half a decade later, discover how awesome Mass Effect is, I believe I sing the uh, the uh, Scientist Solarian. Gotcha. After, if you wait until after the... After, after the credits, yeah. Yeah. Those are the two I, I specifically uh, recall. But, but, anyhow. Today, we're, we're not going to talk about Mass Effect or, or any more about bad 80s cartoons, because let's face it, no matter how much we loved them at the time, none of them were any good. Nope. Or L5R, Koku Redemptions, or my desire to play all the Star Wars Fantasy Flight games all at once. No, 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 we just... All Bobby Fischer. <laughs> just set up one long table, you have this card game next to the X-Wing, next to Armada, next to Imperial Assault, next to three different RPG groups going, and you just quickly move between the stations, making one move at a time. Worst Game Master ever. <laughs> yes. Uh, wow, that's that's even more than I was thinking. I, I was just thinking X-Wing and uh, Armada and the card game, but that's because I have not had anything to do with it in this format. I, I'm not even thinking about the fact that, yeah, Imperial Assault can be mm-hmm. played as a tournament-style game, too. Yep. I personally quite have been quite enjoying the skirmish mode for Imperial Assault. Well, maybe I'll have to play it with you sometime. I don't... I don't okay. Secret, I don't actually own Imperial Assault. I own all the other ones, but... Eventually, I'll have the core set, and then I'll just be able to randomly buy packs and pretend like it's a completely justified expense to add more plastic. I really need a better storage solution while I'm while I'm mentioning this for my my X-Wing and my Armada because just having everything in its original box is really space consuming. Mm. And only functions when you're playing at your house. <laughs> uh, well especially since Armada Wave 2 is coming out soonish. Those things are going to be large. Uh, Yeah, they are. There's some big stuff. It's kind of interesting. You know what? It's probably interesting only to me, but but just looking at the X-Wing miniatures, the size disparity between an A-Wing and like a TIE Punisher is is crazy. Hmm. It's almost like a capital ship compared to that poor A-Wing. I don't know. Much less the Houndstooth. Jeez. Mm -hmm. 
I'm hoping that when the, the when the ghost comes out, that it will somehow be possible, and I'm pretty sure it's not, to field a, a fat falcon and a fat ghost in the same fleet, so it can just be all the named characters or something, somehow all at once. So many turret shots, so many <laughs> times. Because <laughs> yes, I I've played an X-wing tournament with two two YT thirteen hundreds. One of them was the Falcon, and that's just annoying because you really don't need a, nearly as much skill at that point because you don't have to worry about firing arcs. Yes, exactly. If you're firing arc in a tournament setting, there. There are things that can be done, right? There's a rock, paper, scissors quality to arc dodgers versus turrets versus... But I, I have to say, for, for for me of little skill, the the notion of, yeah, my ships just being turrets where I, for the most part, can't get completely hosed by someone playing better than I am. Right, right. Well, I at least get right. to roll my dice to attack, right? I may not so, win, but I'm, I'm participating. So tip from having done that, make sure you don't ramming speed, because if you, you're touching, you don't get to shoot each other. Okay. But, anyhow, didn't I just say we weren't going to talk about these sorts of things? I just said that, and you've, you've made a liar out of me, Jay. I blame you. Okay, fair enough. Because <laughs> it's not like every single time you say we're not going to talk about a thing, and then we talk about it for half an hour. It's not at all like that. But not even slightly. Nothing like that at all. Yeah. This is a unique experience. Yeah. Oh, but something we should talk about because I'm because look, guys, this this is the mess that we are now, right? We're we're we don't know what to do now that we can't fill up half the two thirds of our episodes with with Legend of the Five Rings. But you can tell us what to do right now. The Jack Vassal Memorial Fund auction is going on on Board Game Geek for the second year in a row. We are offering up king for a day or executive producer for a day or whatever you want to call it for the podcast you can bid and if you win you get to come on the show you get to decide what the show is going to be about you get to decide who's on the show to the extent that that's practical i mean you can ask for someone who's not a regular cast member to be on the show and you may or may not get it but you know anybody who's a regular you can have on or not have on and you can do that over skype you can do that in the vicinity of Atlanta if you live here or are crazy enough to want to travel here for this. Or I should actually be at Gen Con. Allegedly. Next year. I, I, I do not at the moment have a reason that I will not be at Gen Con next year. Right. It's, it's 2017 where I need to incapacitate you so I can have the press pass again. So this... <laughs> This year he should be at Gen Con, yes. <laughs> yes. Yes, you you need it to to get in on on trade day to talk to like Fantasy Flight. You got to you got to have L5R out on trade day. I can't wait till the first day of Gen Con. <laughs> but if you go to uh, strangeassembly.com, if you're listening to this in a semi-timely fashion, that should be one of the posts at the top and there will be a link within that post to the specific item. The auction is done through Board Game Geek. So I think that right now that's it's only right now the winning bid is only fifty dollars so there's still a a lot of room for both getting to donate to charity and boss me around if you want to see what happened with last year's winner last year's winner ended up being episode 166 spectacular spectacular which was forcing us to actually do a big introduction to legend of the five rings for 
new players, that one went out of date faster than uh, anticipated. But but hey, if you want us to do another one of those, we can. It's your money, and you get to call the shots. But games, we should talk about some actual games that we played other than just X-Wing. Or maybe, maybe we should... You know what? We're not we're not set up to do that, but maybe sometime we actually will just have an all Star Wars games episode. I hear there's like a movie coming out or something. It's a big allegedly. Day. I hear, I hear. Mm-hmm. So last episode, I talked to Jamie Segmeyer of Stonemeyer Games about their Scythe, which is on Kickstarter now still, but they recently came out with their prior Kickstarter game, which is Between Two Cities. I believe you backed that one, Jay, but either way, you have it now. So I've only played this in prototype format. How is the finished product? As compared to the prototype, it's a very beautiful game. It's, I mean, it's tile placement, and all the tiles look very pretty. One of their stretch goals from the Kickstarter is to give individualized art so they're not the same tile over and over again. And then you wouldn't be familiar with the mechanics. Mechanically, I think it's my favorite tile-laying game, and probably one of my favorite games of all time, in that it's it's simple while also being fairly deep. And best of all, for my usual gaming group, it's because it's a drafting game, there is not the, oh, it's, it's, it's Chris's turn, therefore three other people are on their phones. It's constant action. There's no down... Not a whole lot of downtime for people to play with their phones. Yeah, and it's like Seven Wonders in that it doesn't really matter how many people are playing it. But I, do you think I would be able to answer this question? Did I actually talk about Between Two Cities on the... I do not explicitly recall. I can't recall. I didn't. So uh, in Between Two Cities, the you, the player, are Between Two Cities because you're building a city to your left and building a city to your right. With your with your neighbor, the, yes. So both both of you are working on one city together, and then with your other neighbor, you're working on another city together. Uh, so yeah, you you are drafting tiles that are different buildings and using them. In each round of drafting, you're going to grab two tiles, one for your left city, one for your right city, and then each one has different ways they combo. So like. Some of them you want to get a lot of that type into your city. Others, you want specific arrangements of them. Uh, there's one that pairs with another one where it's worth more points if it's with that other one. And you're making just a 4x4 four four grid of tiles to build out your city. And so once that's done, you score your cities. And... Basically, you you get the points for whichever of the two is your lowest scoring. So you you have to be constantly balancing. I mean, it doesn't matter if the one to your left is worth 200 points. If the one to your right is worth two points, you're going to be losing. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Yeah, no, it is definitely fun. And, and yeah, and you'll, if you've played something like Suburbia, I think a lot of the, the thematic concepts are pretty quick to absorb as far as what the tile laying sorts of rules are like what you like big gardens houses mm-hmm. don't like to be next to factories that sort of thing right pretty much general yeah. urban sprawl type ideas yeah my my, fa- my favorite is i was talking about the pair so 
If I remember correctly, your offices really want to be next to pubs, if you can help it. Yeah, are, are pubs and restaurants one tile color? Yeah, it's one tile color that's like bar, restaurant. It's a set matching. I forget what the other icons are, but yeah, there's like four different ones, and so you're trying to collect sets. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, because each one has different. Yeah, shops like to be next to each other. Houses houses like to be next to lots of different things, but not, except not for factories. Yeah. And, but yeah, it's pretty good. So that's uh, Between Two Cities. It's from Stonemeyer Games. It just came out. All right, so my first game of the day is The Grizzled. This is a small box game that is basically entirely cards, and it's published in the United States by Cool Mini or Not. I believe that this combination of publisher and game style is is possibly a paradox that will throw the universe into disarray. I know that they do other things, but it's really hard to divorce Cool Mini or Not from Minis. from all those Kickstarters with the gigantic piles of fancy, fancy miniatures. <laughs> I wonder why. <laughs> You'd think it was their name or something. <laughs> yes, yes. It's it's interesting, actually. If I, well, you know, I use that word interesting. Sometimes I'm I'm not sure that I I use it correctly, but it's interesting to me at least. Mm. They actually have two different Twitters, and so there's one that's just Cool Mini or Not games. But if you're like their main Twitter still has things like miniatures painting on it that are mm. no interest to me. I know you've been painting your all of the stuff. Like oh yeah, you painted your, Imperial your Star Wars Assault. Armada yeah. ships and your Imperial Assault stuff. So I I did the fighters in Imperial Assault because they're unpainted. I left the I'm, I'm not advanced enough to do the ships in there. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. What am I saying? Yeah, the, sorry. Yeah, the Star Fighters because those are unpainted along with the Imperial Assault. Right. It's mostly the Imperial Assault that I've been doing. You painted up uh, the ATST. I did, yes. Both the base one and the one with Weiss hanging in it, and I thought those came out pretty well, pretty good looking. Maybe we should create a... Uh, this is how bad I am. I, <laughs> anyone else in the world would be able to immediately say what the name of the image-sharing social media site is that everyone in the world is on. Imgur? That doesn't or- sound right. Okay. Facebook? No. <laughs> oh, oh, um, Instagram. Jeez. Anyhow, she created an Instagram account and be like, these are all my pretty, pretty miniatures. And then internet trolls can come and tell you why you suck. Because that's what the internet's for. That is what the internet is for. Anyhow. Um, yeah. Speaking of, of pointless suffering, in a good way, so the Grizzled from Cool Mini or Not, this game... Uh, which actually comes from, I think it was designed in the art, the, the little bit of art done by one of the, the cartoonists at uh, Charlie Hebdo, who got killed in the terrorist attack over in France. And it is a World War One themed game where you are a, everyone who's playing as a squad, it is fully cooperative, and the object of the game is to not die. So you win the game by surviving to Armistice Day. You go on individual missions, and you succeed at a mission by the individual players all withdrawing from the mission before the mission fails. I mean, there's there's no, like, mission objective that you are trying to accomplish in a positive fashion. It is entirely don't 
don't fail. Don't lose. You, uh, you have a deck of cards and with, I think literally there's one positive card in the entire deck. One. One out of 60. Ouch. Yes. And so you are drawing a number of cards. You the, the more cards you draw, the harder it makes the mission, because then you have to try to play these negative effects out of your hand without the mission failing. The fewer cards you draw, the easier an individual mission is, but then you're, you're going to get run down and your morale is going to wear out before Armistice Day comes, if, if you're never upping the intensity of your missions. So you, you've got different kinds of threats, like weather and, and gas, and, you know, and if you get too much of one threat, then you fail the mission. You also draw cards that are personality issues. You can be, and everyone at the table would love it when I'm going to play this one. There's a card you can play that's mute, where you're not allowed to talk. <laughs> that, would, that would go so well at our table, wouldn't it? It's already one of those things where you're not allowed to you're not allowed to tell people what's you know things like what's in your hand or hey why don't you play this it's just it's a no table talk sort of thing but but yeah that one just completely shuts you down but there are also things like prideful where you are not allowed to withdraw from the mission unless you've emptied your hand or you're the last player left in the mission. So that could be disastrous because it could force you to play a card that will cause the mission to fail because you're just you just refuse to admit that you know maybe it would be best if I ran away now. Bravely ran away away. Yeah, that's kind of the opposite feel that we're going here. So I liked this. It definitely is deliberately right a grim theme, and that's part of why I liked it. It is a different theme and a different feel it's a small little box it's not a micro game but it is a small box game i guess to some extent it is a it is a filler it's hard to say that it's a light game <laughs> i guess it is it is mechanics wise but it feels strange to call it a light game right not light uh, subject wise but i i liked it and that just came out this month that was the grizzled from cool mini or not and on the opposite end of the death and destruction levity spectrum, I, I think you embarrassed yourself by uh, kickstarting something, Jay? I did not embarrass myself at all. I kickstarted a lot of things. Uh, <laughs> so probably if you kickstart games, you've probably heard about this one already because I think it was one of the biggest game board game kickstarters of the last couple years, Exploding Kittens, which... In large part, it's because of the artwork of the oatmeal, and very much that sense of humor. The basic mechanics of the game, you have a deck of cards. Inside of that deck of cards are a number of exploding kittens equal to the number of pl people playing minus one. Your goal is, on, at the end of each of your turn, you have to draw a card. Your goal is to never draw an exploding kitten, because if you draw an exploding kitten and you have no way of dealing with it, you lose the game. And it's it's full, it, it, it's, I mean, it, as you can tell, it's very much a light game. It, it's one of those great beer and pretzel games to play with your friends when you're just having fun. All of the artwork and the, the style of it is very much silly. The oatmeal sense of humor, you have all sorts of 
weird, random things uh, going on throughout the game of the, the how the cats are exploding and how you deal with it. Things like you, there are cards that let you look at what's coming up that are like uh, you summon a unicorn to look into the future for you. Um, or you use your attack back hair to force the next player to take your turn for you as an attack card. Or the nopes. The Pope of Nope says nope to cancel out a, car- a card another player plays. So it's very much just a silly, have fun type of game. Very light mechanics. So if, if that's the type of thing you're, you're after, I would definitely recommend it. It's, it's a nice, light, fun, random game. My favorite part playing it is you try to put a little strategy in and it backfires amusingly sometimes. For instance, if you do draw an exploding kitten, there is a card, there's a couple copies in the deck, that there's one card called Diffuse that instead of blowing up, you put it back in the deck and you put it where you want it. So you can very quickly get into silly head games of how far did you put it down. And at least with my friends, you you sometimes forget and you're like, wait, where is... I put one in here. Where did it go? So yeah, not at all a game you would like probably, but I quite enjoy the game. Yeah, so you, you described it as one of the biggest board game Kickstarters, which I guess technically is the case, but it felt more well, like a humor Kickstarter that happened it to be in the form of a card game. That it was well, a game Kickstarter? I mean, I think that was just, you know, the Kickstarter category it was in. No, no, and it literally is. I don't know. I mean, let me know if there's, uh, I, I guess, a questionable content. That's I'm reading that webcomic now. Let me know if there's a Kickstarter game for that. I'll go look okay. at it. I could say if there was a Penny Arcade Kickstarter, but they've actually made Penny Arcade games, and presumably Cryptozoic still has the license for that. So Probably. Uh, <laughs> Staying on the the theme of of mechanically lighter games, maybe we maybe we'll have to keep going so we can hit a, a heavy euro. My next game is Code Names. This is a gamer party game. Just came out. It's if you're plugged into gamer things, you've certainly heard of this. So I guess it's really just me saying whether or not I I agree that it's a, a nifty game, uh, and I do. By the way. In this game, the players split into two teams, red and blue, and then each team has a spy master. And the playing field is a five by five grid of words, uh, usually one word, but maybe two words. And the spy masters and only the spy masters have a, a little secret map that tells them which of these words is a special agent for the words or the words are the code names for the special agents. So which of these special agents work for the blue team and which of them work for the red team? And so on each spymaster's turn, that spymaster gets to give a one-word clue to his or her team. And having given that clue, the team then has to guess however many uh, code names they are going to guess. You give the one-word clue and then you give a number. So you'll say, you know, night three, and that's telling them, and I want you to guess three things based on this. And they guess them one at a time, and if they if they guess one that is an agent for your team, then they get to keep on guessing, and once they guess incorrectly, then they stop. There's some innocent bystanders in the grid 
so that, that don't work for anyone. You can identify an agent for the other team, in which case your turn is done and you've identified one of those agents. And so the the strategy and the fun comes in that it's very easy to give a clue that will clearly identify exactly one thing that you want your team to pick. But unless you're already substantially in the lead, you're not going to win that way. Because what you need to do is to be able to figure out some unifying factor for two or three of your words, but not any of your opponent's words, and throw that out there and hope that your teammates can uh, figure it out. You know, so it, it helps to know who you're going for. So I, when I played this, for example, one of my, in one of our games, we, we played it like three or four times in a row, one of the Spymaster's clue was Luke. And I'm like, okay, so force, that's the, <laughs> like, you know. And you could potentially have two different things that end up very well. Like if you if you gave Luke, that I would think would be a very excellent clue for. Oh look, I can do force and Bible. See, ah, huh? you know, not that that works out that that, that well. But uh, it, it is both fun and lighthearted, and also you know requires you to exercise your brain, and is not just a who knows trivia the best sort of thing. Right. It's more about making connections. It's code names that just came out. That one's pretty fun if you're looking for a a gamery party game or even not not even necessarily a gamery party game but a, a, a more thinky party game so that was code names you ready to you ready to do introduce a third game jay sure i will go for i, I think we talked this, this was one out of your gen con excite list if i remember correctly was tesla versus edison you do recall correctly. That right. was one of the games that was that was hitting a Gen Con I wanted to try out. Right. So I, I got it, and basically my, my impression uh, summed up is it's a, a good area control game that sort of re- devolves into arguments and, and nobody cares for because of the stock market game tacked onto it. The way it works is, You've got a limited number of turns, and you've got a lim- limited number of actions. Your actions are taken by you have uh, inventors. So, like, you, when you start the game, you have somebody who's running a company. You have Tesla, you have Edison. I don't remember who the three other they put in to get you up to a five-player game. <laughs> uh, but other, you know, contemporary in- inventors and managers. And then you can then hire some more every other turn you're going to hire in a new person and they're going to they're not going to have nearly as good of a stats as your main inventor but they're going to have some benefit that they're giving to your your team like some of them are good at in helping you invent better light bulbs others are good at making you money and so forth so once you have your guys the top half of the board is a map of the country uh, with diff- all the cities marked, and your goal there is you want to when you when you take an action in that part of the board, you're going to put one of your color cubes onto a city, and you're going to build a project there. And when you when you build a project, it costs you some money to build it, and you have to have your technology advanced enough to actually go in there. But you get a bump on your stock. Basically, everything is about your stock market value. That's your the score of your cup for a given stock is goes up. It starts at something like twelve. It goes theoretically goes up into the seventies. 
So you're, you're constantly trying to improve the value of your stock. Uh, the next thing you can do is, so you, you need advanced technology for some of the bigger cities, like New York is going to require a, for, a much better power system. So you can go and invent technologies. When you do so, you always need light bulbs. You need the best light bulbs you can get. But you have a choice between alternating current and direct current. Once you start making that choice, a third area of the board is the popularity. And basically that track is the popularity of AC versus DC. As that swings back and forth, you get more or less benefit for a given technology when you go and you build your projects. So if AC is in the favor and you build your project with AC, you're going to get a better stock price bump than you would if you built it with DC. And then finally, there's the stocks. So as I said, you're, you're constantly trying to increase the value of your stock. At the end of the game, you, the winner is determined by who has the most valuable stock portfolio. You always have four stock in your own company that you can't sell. There are, up for grubs, up to six of every other company, of every company are available. You can never have more than four of an opponent's company. What makes the stock market interesting and also people seem to dislike is, so whatever the current price of a stock is, that's how much it costs you to buy it. And when you buy a stock, it goes up. You can also sell a stock, and when you sell a stock, it goes down a lot. So pretty much most games are just going to naturally have a kingmaker scenario where in the last turn, somebody has bought the current leader's stock and they just tank it so that the current winner is now losing horribly. Sell whatever you have that's high, and it'll tank whatever that other player is, unless it's your own that you happen to be holding, and then buy whatever's left, ideally buying your own so that other players can't take it. But probably the one thing that I would <laughs> I would uh, take issue with in that description is that you, you referred to the stock market game being tacked on. And really, right, it's one of those things where it's not that the stock market is tacked on, it's that the, the stock market is an integral part of the game in the way that you may not realize at first. But more importantly, as you say at the end, it, it kind of ends up being an overwhelming right part of the game you could describe it as a power grid meets a train game or something as far as the stock goes but it felt like by the time you got done to it all the nifty stuff you had done with increasing your technology and promoting ac versus dc and building out into cities just got overwhelmed by the mass massive stock fluctuations at the end of the game mm-hmm it would be neat to play if the stock market somehow didn't work the way that it did or but i and we we also kind of with an odd number of players there may be an issue with the ac versus dc and how that tug of war plays out if you basically end up with two players of one and one player of the other that's probably not good for the one player and it's it's probably best for the player who is you know if one player's ac and one player's dc and one AC player and one DC player are talking of warring, and the other DC player is going, oh, hey, look, I'm just getting the benefit of when DC is up without right. having to do anything. But I, I don't know how much that mattered in in the end. Uh, yeah, it was like the interesting part of the game 
I thought kind of got overwhelmed by the part of the game that did not play as well, which was the stock market. But that was just me. Yeah, I, I agree. I, th- I think that's the best way to sum it up, is the interesting part of the game and the important part of the game are not the same thing. I mean, which is a shame, because I feel like the interesting part of the game was actually fairly interesting for it to then, the winner to come down to not whoever had played that part of the game the best, just, you know, kind of leaves a bad taste in your mouth sometimes. We did end up eating up time with uh, talking about Armada and X-Wing, so I'm not going to go into to a lot of depth about the last game we have here, which is a, a giant, giant game, Forbidden Stars. came out earlier this year from Fantasy Flight, set in the Warhammer 40k universe. This is a big, not, I don't know, space epic game. I think it could be fairly described as, you know, one player is Orcs, one player is Chaos, one player is Eldar, one player is the Space Marines. You are out on a randomized board, and you are you're going around and you're you're fighting each other, but you're not just fighting each other. You have to research, which is, I guess it's a deck building element to it. And we, since it's all everything, it's called deck building now. You when you fight, it's one of those things where when you fight, you play cards from your hand, and what you get to do is the way that you when, when you upgrade your technology, you take you get to take two cards out of your deck and put in two copies of the new card, so that it will improve your chances of drawing the next time you fight. Improve your chance of drawing your your better, fancier card. You had to generate resources. The combat was not just about wiping out one player. It was about identifying and seizing specific objectives. You can. Uh, I I have not played with one of the one with with the more advanced rules where you get to more customize the board. We just used standardized board setups where they make sure that your target spots are spread out. So you have to get to these target objectives. So that disincentivizes you from just spending a bunch of time just beating on other players. So uh, I think it, it played well. I enjoyed it. It was not universally loved when it was played it is still possible to kind of get out of it with a healthy amount of the game left where, okay, maybe nobody's going to come in and just crush you, but your production is kind of down, so it's hard for you to, to get back up. I found the combat interesting, but I think if there's a, a f- flaw in the game, it's that you can end up having to kind of wait while other players are resolving their combat, which involves th- multiple rounds of them playing cards. But... It comes with a, a lot of cool little minis. Everything in there looks great. It played well. Make sure you have the right group because it, it's. I mean, it's not a cheap game. You know, it is definitely aggressively interactive. There is such a thing as player elimination. It's unlikely to happen, but you know, you can get beat down. So you got to make sure you're aiming for the right group with this. But if you have the time to to set aside for it, I think Forbidden Stars was pretty fun. So there we go. We got what, we covered six six today, plus plus meanderings about random bits of plastic that happen to look like uh, Star Wars ships. Yay! Yeah, those are the best random bits of plastic. They they are pretty fantastic random bits of plastic. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you what. But hey, uh, so we hope you liked the show today. If you didn't like the show today, remember you can come decide what an episode will be about. And, and appear on it yourself. 
visit strangeassembly.com or BoardGameGeek to to get the link to the Jack Fassel Memorial Fund auction that's taking place on BoardGameGeek right now. Bid, uh, it goes to a good cause. I, I didn't say at the beginning, if you don't know what uh, the Jack Fassel Fund is, Memorial Fund is, you can, it's jackfassel.org, Fassel, V-A-S-E-L, and it provides monies for gamers and their families in, in need, having medical issues, that, that sort of thing. Again, you can, you can find out more on their website, and there's also a link to their website from, from our website from that post right now. But you've been listening to Strange Assembly, your tabletop gaming podcast. You can visit us on the web at strangeassembly.com. You can subscribe to the podcast there, or you can subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher. If you if you're visiting us on iTunes, we always appreciate it. If you leave a rating or review, it helps other people find the podcast. You can also find us on social media. We are at Strange Assembly on Twitter and Facebook.com slash Strange Assembly. If you'd like to get in touch with me directly, I'm Chris at StrangeAssembly.com. But until then, for Jay Earl, I'm Chris Stevenson, and this is Strange Assembly. Never stop gaming. squeak i was trying to get something but i just didn't come up with anything good